Good morning, Restoration Church. How's everyone doing today? Good. I just preached over next door, and I'm so nervous here. It's like my family's here. It's different when it's people you know, at least for me it is. Um, I'm so thankful that I get to talk today with everybody and share with you guys so many people that I've known for so many years. Um, I'm going to give you a little introduction to myself. Some of this will be old news to some of you, but to the rest of you. I think it's important, and I'm going to start with a, I'm going to be talking today about how God's favor rests upon us, how that truth has become known in my own life personally, and I'm going to start by talking about my family. You guys know these folks, this next slide, and this is Josh and Mason and Truly and I. So Josh and I have been married, we'll celebrate 22 years this year, which certainly I'm not old enough for that, but it happened. Oh, thank you. Um, and then Mason is 15. She just went over, moved over to Redlands High School. So she's a freshman at Redlands High School. Also unbelievable. Um, Truly is our middle daughter. She's 12 and in seventh grade at the Grove Charter School, um, which has been a great place for her. And our son, August, is 10. And he's at McKinley Elementary down the road at, in third grade. Three schools, three drop-offs, three pickups every day. You're counting. <laughs> Yeah, um, and I, I really wanted to talk to you guys about um, the journey that God's taken me toward this understanding of his favor resting upon me, and this understanding of what it actually means when he says the kingdom of heaven is here on earth right now in this moment, and how for me this journey has been, I've arrived at this place as a journey through disability, through raising two kids with disabilities and being in the disability space and having dozens and dozens of disabled friends as well. And so to start, I'm going to take us way back um, to the year 2000. Some of y'all were in the room back then. Ben Rizal, I'm pointing at you. When, oh no, you weren't there. No, you were. You guys, Ben. <laughs> ben played music at Josh's and my wedding. He played the music that I walked down the aisle to. Isn't that fun? Um, so in my early 20s, Josh and I got married in 2002. And I was 20 years old at the time. And... Early on in our marriage, we decided we wanted to start a family. Uh, probably like three or four years in, we were ready to start a family, and I was really excited to be a mom. I grew up with the best of the best mothers, and I could not wait to be a mom and to have a family. Um, and the, as we were pursuing family, the long story short is I, have, I was diagnosed with infertility, and we came to a crossroads, and the road that was going to lead us towards becoming a family was the road towards adoption. And so we headed down that way, um, pursuing children through adoption. And the adoption process is wild. Um, some of y'all are familiar with it. It's a wild process. I think it's incredibly problematic as it exists today, but that's another sermon. We can talk about that later. That's my own personal opinion and experience in the last 15 years in that space. Um, but when you're an adoptive family, Mason and August came through a private agency in, San, or in Los Angeles. Truly Star was through the foster care system in San Bernardino County here. And both times, when you start the process, they hand you a bunch of paperwork. I mean, stacks and stacks and stacks of paperwork. But one of the forms you get, it's like six or seven pages, is checklists of things that you are open to or not in a child and in a birth parent, a birth family history. And I mean, it's a wild idea, right? Like when you, 
If you are wanting to be a parent, you have in your mind who you want your child to be, but you're not checking a list for that, and then you have a list, and there's things on the list we've never heard of. And so then you're like Googling <laughs> everything, and it's, Google's only ever terrifying, and, and it's very overwhelming. But all of that to share that we were in pr pursuit of the baby that we had dreamed of having naturally, which was a healthy baby that maybe resembled Josh and I in some capacity. And so we checked no to most health issues. We were pretty limited in what we were open to in bringing a baby home. And um, definitely on that list, we said no to things like Down syndrome, and we said no to things like a congenital heart defect um, or something called pulmonary hypertension, anything that was going to be that was not going to be like our healthy, non-disabled child, we had said no to, because we were in search of that baby who was healthy, um, and healthy at the time we equated to non-disabled, which I no longer do anymore, but a healthy, non-disabled baby, because in our heads, for some reason, that would make life better or easier. That's the way it's supposed to be, and therefore we were pursuing that wholeheartedly. And after about a year of waiting, um, being an official waiting family, all the paperwork's filled out, and our family's being presented to potential adoptive um, birth parents, we get an email, and I'm skipping so many details here because we just don't have a lot of time for this part of the story, but we get an email uh, from our social worker, and she's responding to a question that I had had non-related to anything with disability. And in the email, she happens to mention that the agency had just been placed two babies with Down syndrome. She says something like, I mean, this is an exact quote, it's always hard to find homes for them. Your profile's been viewed twice. Hang in there. And when I read that email, Josh and I happened to be in Romania, of all places at the time, but when I read that email, God did something in my heart. I describe it like as a spark, which isn't very scientific, but like a spark in my heart, um, like a, a pause. And I learned about a baby with Down syndrome and I couldn't unknow it. And I wanted to desperately because it wasn't going away. That feeling of there's this baby with Down syndrome, two at the time that we knew of. These babies with Down syndrome, babies with Down syndrome. And Josh and I just had conversation after conversation about what does this mean? And then conversations with the Lord, like shaking my fist, saying, God, this is not what we are doing here. Like, I had already come to grips with my infertility. I had already come to grips with adoption. This is not the thing that we are doing or pursuing. Stop it, Lord, stop it. Um, but as the story goes, and I'm skipping so much again, we end up adopting a little girl with Down syndrome who has a congenital heart defect and pulmonary hypertension. Um, she came home on oxygen 24-7 on multiple medications. She had open heart surgery one month after coming home as a four-month-old baby. The, our very first day as parents, um, our first full day, like she came home, we woke up the next morning and met with her heart surgeon over here at Loma Linda to schedule her open heart surgery. Like, hey, welcome to parenthood, Josh and Heather. Um, we had talked to a cardiologist before bringing her home and before saying yes to her, and this cardiologist had said, her conditions are very severe. She might live to be five, maybe as old as eight, if we were lucky. And so the weeks between knowing about her and saying yes to her um, were really heavy. It was a heavy time for us. It wasn't full of light 
like lightness and joy and anticipation that a lot of parents have when they know they're going to have a baby. It was just really heavy and it was confusing and it was terrifying. And there were plenty of moments, like I said, when I found myself saying to the Lord, why are you doing this to me? Why is this the path that you're pushing us towards? Why can't I say no? Why can I not just step away and say no? Um, and I will never forget, friends, the day she came home, October 28, 2008, 15 years ago. And on that day, I was so sick to my stomach driving into L.A. to the adoption agency, just completely sick to my stomach about what was about to happen to our lives. And you pull into the parking garage and make our way up the elevator, and, um, and then you walk into a room and... Hold on, where's the, where am I clicking at? Oh, okay. We walk into this room, um, and her birth mother, who's there in this picture, and a sister who's 18 months older than her, um, are there, and then they hand you a baby, right? Like, yes, thank you, that's the appropriate, <laughs> there's an appropriateness to that response. And it's, tragic, right? And it's beautiful at the exact same time. And it's just this heavy, um, like a heavy joy, right? Like Mason coming into my life was this introduction of two very opposite things can be true at the exact same time. This is our whole life with our children, and especially at this moment with Mason. And so they hand you a baby, um, and then, and it's awkward, if you could imagine that that it's incredibly awkward, it's incredibly heartbreaking. And then you walk to your car and you strap him in a car seat, and this is there. And I just remember sitting in the back seat and staring at her the whole way home, like just not taking my eyes off her. Um, and then we get home, and Macy was a really sick baby, and our friends, Sarah Gray, led the charge of this group of friends giving us a people-less baby shower because we were told... I mean, what happened with COVID, y'all, is what we were doing with Mason 15 years ago. Like, she cannot be exposed to germs. People are masking around her. You do not even think about approaching her without washing your hands. If you have a sniffle, you're not allowed in our home. Like, if she got a cold, then she could die, is essentially what her, her cardiologist and pulmonologist had told us. And so we arrived to our home, and it's full. It's decorated um, for a baby shower and tons of presents, and then... My parents came. My dad's here today, everyone. This is my dad, Kim. So everyone say, hey, Kim. <laughs> and my mom and dad came, and my sister came. And that was it. Um, no one else is there. And we had this just beautiful moment, and our fridge is full of food. And we were so loved on from the second this little girl comes home. And it had been a really busy day, emotionally draining and physically draining. And after my parents and my sister left, I walked Macy upstairs to get her in bed. And she was asleep on my shoulder before we got to the top step. And I will never forget getting her in her pajamas and sitting on this in her room um, in this vintage green chair in the corner and holding her um, in my hands like this. And her head's here and her body's on my forearms. And thinking of our journey to that moment, and I could tear up every time and looking at her and thinking, huh. I can't remember what I was so afraid of. And I had this baby, right? Like this baby with her heart beating and her chest and her lungs full of oxygen sitting in my arms. And I thought, 
what were we so afraid of? What were we so afraid of? And it was that night in this moment, which somehow like miraculously Josh captured on camera, <laughs> um, that God began a deep work in my heart and a deep work in my soul. And he began to work within me this upside down way of thinking and being and existing in the world, which Jesus shares with us through his entire ministry, right? Jesus makes his way on the scene in the world and everything is upside down that Jesus presents to, to the culture then and I think to our culture now. And one of these upside down ways of thinking and being and living in the world um, Jesus presents to his followers on the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 16, also known as the Beatitudes. And as I was preparing for our time together and sharing about this, I was reading a lot on the Beatitudes, and there's a Franciscan priest by the name of Richard Rohr who um, has been very influential to me in my spiritual journey and my faith journey, and he says about this, he says, um, to understand the Sermon on the Mount, we must approach it with an open heart and a beginner's mind, ready to have these normal cultural beliefs and preferences changed. Most people were never told this and tried to fit the gospel into their existing cultural agenda. And as I'm reading this, I can like picture the Pharisees and I can think of what I know about the people Jesus was speaking to specifically, but then I think about myself too, and I grew up in the church and had a great experience going to church as a kid and being a church kid. And I knew the Beatitudes from a young age. I had them memorized from a very young age. And I thought that I understood. Like I thought I had a decent understanding of the Beatitudes and what Jesus is talking about. But I didn't realize that my understanding was tainted by an existing cultural agenda. I didn't realize that. And, and, then, and then a baby with Down syndrome is placed in my arms and my heart and my mind are torn wide open to an upside down way of thinking and being and living in this world as presented by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. So let's go there together for a moment. Um, let's read, I'm gonna read the scripture to you and think about, oh, this is, I got to go to the Holy Land when I was in 2015 and this is me on the Mount of Beatitudes overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And um, it's a pretty, it was a holy moment in my life, certainly. So let's read this together. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 12. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the clean of heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are they who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they insult you and persecute you and utter every kind of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward will be great in heaven. Thus they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I'm going to pray for us before we move on. God, we're so thankful for you coming to earth as Jesus and presenting us with words like these, God, um, for challenging our understandings, 
and giving us opportunities to lean into your love and your ultimate grace for us and our lives as we look to you, Lord, um, to know what it means to love well and to live well. May you speak to each of us this morning, wherever we find ourselves in life, and may you open up our minds and our hearts to receive your words in new and fresh ways, um, and speak through me this morning, I pray God. Amen. All right, so Jesus, just after gathering up his disciples, um, he went around sharing a message of God's good kingdom, and he said that that good kingdom was here now, alive then, alive now. Um, and he healed people, and word got out, and a large crowd gathered around them. Um, and I like to think, I like to like picture Jesus talking to different people, walking around, people wanting to know, what is this person talking about? And just everything that he's saying, people's minds are blown. Like he's just completely blowing people's minds with his upside-down upside way of thinking and being, and that he's calling it the kingdom of God. Um, and people had an understanding of what the kingdom of God was, but what Jesus is presenting is nothing like what the culture had understood it would be or could be. And he's saying the kingdom of God is right there, right then, present tense, kingdom of God. I like to think of it as an inauguration of this transformed way of thinking and living that Jesus is presenting. This is his inauguration of a transformed way of thinking and living. And Jesus' life and this beautiful message that he was sharing then and now is a seismic shift in a cultural narrative. And he presents this wild and radical idea, this idea that the kingdom of heaven, here and now, and then he goes on to say, and here is what it looks like. Here is what it looks like. And I skipped a slide. Um, in Matthew 4, 17, before the Beatitudes, before the Mount, Sermon on the Mount, right before then, he says that this to everybody, the kingdom of heaven is here now. And then here is what it looks like. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And while this entire portion of scripture is important, and it is, is an example of practicing heaven now, um, of upside down kingdom, this whole portion of scripture invites us to toss out our old ways of thinking and embrace a new and different way of thinking and believing. But for our time together this morning, the rest of our time together, I just want to look at this first beatitude. The first beatitude found in Matthew verse 5, chapter 5, verse 3, that says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And this plaque is on the, there on the Mount of Beatitudes, if you've ever got to go see, go be there. Um, in the Greek, the word for blessed in the Greek is makarios. And makarios, I love this word, it means, it's an adjective, it means happy, blessed, favored, flourishing, or God's favor rests upon, God's favor rests upon. And since I'm the one doing the talk today, we're going we're gonna to do the God's favor rests upon. I just love that idea and the visual of, that that provides. God's favor rests upon the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And this idea of poor in spirit, poor in spirit means an inner emptiness. Poor in spirit means a humility. We are empty. We are humble. We think of it, uh, we can think of it as a heart ripped open. We can think of it as the embracing of a beginner's mind. 
When we are poor in spirit, we no longer live with the need for personal righteousness or for a reputation. Rather, by embracing our own poverty, by embracing our need for God, we can finally see the futility of clinging to the lie of self-sufficiency, and we're free to accept the help which comes only from God. Okay, I'm going to say that again. I'm going to put it on a slide. I don't think my clicker's working. By, by embracing our poverty, our need for God, we can finally see the futility of clinging to the lie of self-sufficiency, and we are free to accept the help which only comes from God. Friends, it is powerlessness. It is powerlessness. The favor, this favor, this blessing, this flourishing that Jesus is talking about, it is found in our powerlessness. It is found in the powerlessness of a shattered dream. It is found in the loss of the control that we thought we had, but actually never did. It's found in the powerlessness of disability. Anyone here ever feel powerless? You can raise your hand, but it's rhetorical. You never feel powerless. <laughs> or, and when you think of that powerlessness, right, and we think of it, and culturally we think of it, it's connected to something negative. It's a negative feeling. I don't think many of us in our introduction to powerlessness, whether it's something we've had to step towards or something that smacked us in the face, are like, yes, Lord, thank you for this. This is good. I don't think any of us are saying that, but I would imagine everyone in here has experienced some kind of powerlessness. And in a world where power and being powerful is currency, right? We live in a world where power and being powerful is currency, both when Jesus walked the earth and now. Jesus looks at everybody, he looks at all of us in this room, at each person and says, in our powerlessness, Jesus says, blessed are you, blessed are you, favored are you, flourishing are you, dear one, when you are poor in spirit, when you are empty, when you are at the end of your rope, when you're experiencing complete powerlessness, when your world is turned upside down, blessed are you, because then, it is then that you can shake off the lie of self-sufficiency, and it is then that you can shake off the lie of control, and then you can see the goodness in the ways that our brokenness, our brokenness leads us to God, and our brokenness leads us to each other and leads us to community. It's letting go of expectations and releasing power. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's a baby with Down syndrome placed in my arms. And Jesus says, look at her. Look at that baby. She is so blessed. She is so blessed. And you are avoiding her because you didn't know her. And, until, and you didn't know that she held the very revelation of the kingdom of heaven in her life as a person with a disability, as a person with Down syndrome. So fast forward with me, if you will, to a few years after Macy enters our life. And um, for anybody who has raised a child with a disability, then you know in those first five years especially, you're just inundated with ways to help your child. And so we had occupational therapy and speech therapy and physical therapy and an early start teacher and feeding therapy just coming to our house. We had like six hours a week, someone's in our home. 
hand-washed masks on, and helping us help Mason be better or get better, something like that. Um, I'm totally, I'm not super clear still on what the messaging, how I processed the messaging early on in those, in those early years. And I'll never forget when everyone's coming and helping you and everyone's got suggestions on how to help your kid with Down syndrome, that there was this protocol we heard about. And it was just called the protocol. And we looked into it and what it was was just a list of vitamins and medications that a person with Down syndrome can take. And the outcome was then your child with Down syndrome, if you do this protocol, then your child with Down syndrome will be better. It was like a have hope. You have a kid with Down syndrome, have hope, do this protocol, and then when you do that, everything will be better. And this, like, this messaging came at us from the time Mason entered our lives, this idea that you do A through Z so that Mason will be less lacking. And nobody is saying these words out loud, but the messaging every time was, if your child with Down syndrome is more like children with Down syndrome, then they are better. If your child with Down syndrome is more like their typical peers, let's do all these things so that they have less Down syndrome, which isn't a thing. You have Down syndrome or you don't. Um, then they will be better. If they are more like a non-disabled person, they are better. And that messaging, no one's saying that sentence out loud to us, but it was very, very clear um, and pretty overwhelming. And a message that Josh and I absolutely were on board with for probably the first five years of Macy's life. But the thing too, friends, is I can look back on those early years with Mason, and even today, right, in my entire 15 years with her, something else no one's talking about. Um, nobody, when they're encouraging us to sign her up for the next thing or to try the next therapy or to get her to this next appointment, nobody is saying to us that our lacking as humans is only ever going to be found when we're far from Jesus. It will never be found in a disability. Never. I'm going to say that twice. Our lacking is only ever found when we are far from Jesus, never found in a disability. Nobody said that to us. No one was saying that. No one was talking about how her abundant life was going to be lived as a disabled person choosing Jesus. Nobody was talking about that. How when she, her abundance was going to come from the embracing of the God who created her as a person with Down syndrome. I like to picture God with so much joy adding an extra chromosome to every cell in her body intentionally and beautifully because it is who God intends her to be, and her fullness will be in her love and embracing of the good God who created her with Down syndrome. No one looked at me and said, Heather, the inheritance of the kingdom of heaven, the inauguration of transformation is in your arms. How blessed your daughter. How blessed are you to live out, to understand the futility of clinging to the life of self-sufficiency and to be free to accept the love of Jesus as helper and recognize the goodness in our need for community. Mason Hope, blessed are you, poor in spirit. Nobody was saying that. So fast forward with me a little bit to about 10 years ago, Mason's five, and we're living out near Pasadena and, and attending weekly and regularly a group for families who have kids with Down syndrome. Um, it's not a support group, a resource center, thank you. 
and it was a lifeline for us than it is now. I cannot say enough good things about this center. Love this community. It's been a gift for our family and for our children. And when Mason was five, we would go once a month to a program where the kids with Down syndrome would go work with occupational therapists and speech therapists and teachers and do games and work on some skills, and the parents would have their own section and time together. And we always had a teacher, and the teacher in our section has a son with Down syndrome, same age as Macy. And she's an administrator, and she's lovely and brilliant, so smart. And always in these sessions, um, it's just a lot of information. I think anyone who has a kid, you know that you disabled or not, there's like a list of ways to help your child be their best self. And it's a trick list. And you like check the last box, and there's like 20 more boxes, and everyone has a different opinion. And when you have a kid with a disability, the list is very tricky. And, but it's like, let's try these things, let's do these things. And so I think that particular class, she's talking about telling time, ways to help our kids with numbers and math and telling time. And we're taking notes. And she says something like a specific task that we can do with our kids. And then she says, isn't this why we're here and why we do this? So that our kids with Down syndrome can be more like their typical peers. And then she continued on. And everyone's like, oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. It was another defining moment for me. Like, I, the room froze. I remember it so vividly. And I thought, whoa. No, 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 that's not why I'm here. That's not why I'm here. I don't want Mason to be more like her typical peers. I want Mason to be Mason. I want Mason to be her absolute best self. And that will always mean that she has Down syndrome. I don't want her to be like a person without Down syndrome because then she's not Mason. No, that's not why I'm doing this. And for what happened in that moment moving forward was that the Lord continuing to work out in me what it means to be fully human. How do we define that? And um, to be able to see like that innate worth in Mason and to see that in myself and to see that in all people, regardless of whether you do a thing or not. And um, moving forward, we've continued with therapies. As a 15-year-old, Mason still does speech therapy, and we continue with all of these great programs that exist. But my shift happened that day, the shift for me of my reason for pursuing anything for her and asking myself that question. Are we doing this so she's her best self? Or are we doing this to please a culture? Or are we doing this to make her less Down syndrome? Which again, is not a thing because the goal is for Mason to be Mason, which means she will have Down syndrome. The thing that was continually com communicated about Mason specifically, and I would say about disability um, at large, is that our acceptance as a person in this world disabled or not, is found in what we can do. It's found in our abilities. And the more that we're like the best kind of person, or for Mason, the more she's like her non-disabled peers, the more likely she will find success and a better life. And culturally, that is a true statement. That is true. But then Jesus steps on the scene, and he turns it all upside down. And Jesus says to us, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heaven is here and now. It is here and now, the inauguration of the transformation, the seismic shift in a narrative. And it doesn't start with an elaborate plan. It doesn't start with sending our kids to this place to be more whatever, or ourselves making this plan to do the things to check the list. It doesn't start with an elaborate plan. It starts with a letting go, letting go of the plan. Um, it begins with our own identities. It begins with... How does, who does Jesus say I am? What does Jesus say about me? 
When has Jesus said, do this next thing in order to be better or get more or have more access to the world? Jesus never says that. It begins with the letting go of a plan and saying, who does Jesus say I am? It is the journey of transformation and an embracing of our own belovedness and then continuing to embrace the belovedness we see in each other and in those in our communities and in the world at large. Uh, my good friend, a good friend of mine, she has a son with Down syndrome as well, and I host a podcast. She's one of my co-hosts. Her name is Micah Boyette, and she's an author and a thought leader, and she has a book coming out in a couple months, March, um, her new book. And the book is called Blessed Are the Rest of Us. And she does a stunning deep dive into the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. So I want to finish up our time together um, reading a quote from her book. Micah says this about the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. She says, This isn't a blessing that turns the rich poor, and it's not sentimental either. Not some squishy notion of sweetness to make everyone feel better about the fact that too many human beings live in conditions of hunger, neglect, and poverty. Jesus gave his blessing in a way that prioritizes the ones who had always been ignored. He was saying, in the community of God, there are the ones, these are the ones we will center. Here in this way of living, the poor, the poor in spirit will be prioritized. Jesus was establishing a vision of God that honors the ones who have lived their lives without honor. Because when we center the ones who have always been ignored, communities are healed. I'm going to pray for us. God, we thank you for disrupting um, our culture and the world and inviting us into transformation, Lord. Thank you for that. Thank you, Lord, that you do that in the most unlikely ways. And may we leave this place today, Father, um, pursuing what that means. Open up our hearts and our minds and our souls to that transformation that you're inviting us into. Help us to take a step towards it. And we thank you that as we do, we will experience your love and your grace always, 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 Lord. I thank you for this church, um, for the people in this room who have been such a beautiful part of my journey. And I thank you for Mason Hope and Truly Star and August Riker and the ways that they have shifted a narrative for me. And we love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.